on on businesses, on small businesses. Well, and, and he will be good for black businesses. Well, how so? He's been in office for four years. And what we know is of the millions, the millions of dollars of contracts that the state of Georgia gives out, black voters, who, black people who make more than 28%, almost 30% of the population in Georgia have received less than 1% of the business, the business contracts for the state of Georgia. Here's a here's a, a person that says, Brian Kemp is saying that, yes, he cares about the people of Georgia and he is good for Georgia. Well, how so? Since he has been in office, six hospitals have closed and we're on the verge of another hospital closing in Metro Atlanta, all of that is yes. Can we place that in his in his lap? Absolutely, because he has refused to expand Medicaid, which is part of the reason why even the latest hospital said that it is closing because it cannot handle the weight of so many uninsured patients that are coming in. And so if he expanded Medicaid, will it actually bring in more than a billion dollars in our state that we could have saved those hospitals, we could save this hospital that is on the verge of closing. But he doesn't care about that because he doesn't care about the people of Georgia. What he cares about is his own power. He has been voted We have five seconds. He well, we're going to have to leave it there. Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter, speaking to us from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, and tune in on November 8th for our three-hour midterm election night special. We'll be broadcasting live starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. That does it for our show. I'm Amy Goodman. Stay safe. You're listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. The time is 8 a.m. Next up is Wednesday Talk Radio with Paul Rowland. Devil in the light 
This is KBOO Portland. I am your host here on Wednesday Talk Radio, Paul Rowland. Be with you for the next hour. I've got two guests live in the studio today to talk about the art of the protest song. And uh, we'll talk about that song, which is uh, the Digger song uh, performed by Leon Rosselson in a, in a second here as a, as a prime example of the protest song. Uh, but first, let me just introduce the program and my guest. This uh, next Saturday, I had it wrong here on the program page. I thought it was this Saturday for a while. Anyway, November 5, the Rose City Book Pub in Portland will present the latest iteration of uh, an event that had, had been traveling the country before the pandemic, the Art of the Protest Song, which celebrates a unique form of music that is both art and journalism Throughout history, music, songs, and poetry have been powerful vehicles for communication and commentary on the issues and controversies of the day, punctuating major social, cultural, and political movements and inspiring listeners to action. And of course, you get a lot of that music here on KBOO, I have to just say that. Right, so this uh, uh, was started eight years ago by one of my guests, Bill Valenti. Maybe we'll just uh, have you say hi, Bill. Good morning. And... Uh, he has produced uh, and perform slash performed 27 shows around the country during that time. The last live show was at the Grammy Museum in Newark, New Jersey in February 2020, just a week before the COVID pandemic shut the whole world or most of the world down. So uh, at the Portland event, Valenti will be joined by Ukrainian folk singer Darka Dusty. Good morning, Darka. Good morning. And uh, we'll hear some music by both of them. And another, uh, Rosa Linda, who will be also at the event, as long, along with Skylar Reed. And it will be a benefit for the Ukrainian Foundation, which maybe we'll also hear a little bit about. And so they are both here live in the studio. Just a real quick, so the Rose City Book Pub, if you don't know it, it's at 1329 Northeast Fremont. Of course, you've got a week and a half to uh, figure all that out <laughs> at 6 p.m. And uh, it's also on my program page at KBOO. FM, and uh, we'll talk about uh, all that and more. So, um, well, let's just, uh, 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 before we get to our featured uh, featured guest, Darka, well, uh, Bill, tell us a little bit about what, what got you into this uh, art of the protest song. <laughs> well, I started writing songs uh, pretty late in uh, late in life. I wrote my first song after I turned 60. I like to joke that I, I'm kind of a submerging artist uh, in that I started so late, but all my musical influences came from coming of age in the 1960s uh, when it was all about protest songs, and I learned how to play the guitar and did covers of Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan and Phil Oaks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then when I retired, <laughs> uh, I used to live in Seattle, did a bunch of startup companies in Seattle, retired, moved to Bend, met some songwriters and started writing songs in that style. And uh, along the way, uh, it just occurred to me that uh, there, there weren't many new protest songs being written, uh, or at, lot, at least they weren't getting radio play, they weren't getting airplay or, or festival play. Uh, so I decided to start this little thing called The Art of the Protest Song and invite local artists in, say, LA or San Francisco or 
Austin, Texas, whatever, to organize an event that I would come and uh, uh, be the uh, the MC and a performer and just kind of the promoter. And it really took off. I mean, a lot of people in the audiences uh, would tell me that they like to hear songs like this that they don't hear very often. Uh, and the rest is kind of, you know, we just built on uh, the momentum we started in uh, eight years ago. And had we not been shut down by the pandemic, I'm not sure where we would have been in the last two and a half years, but it's nice to get the thing rolling again. Indeed, I, indeed. <clears throat> Go ahead. And I, I kind of think of the, the protest song, or it, it, sometimes I, I, I like to say, let's not call them protest songs. Let's just call them uh, topical songs. Uh, because most pe many people think that that, uh, that term, the protest song, means it's an angry rant about something uh, and it isn't necessarily a rant it can be parody it can be satire it can be humorous uh, and uh, it can be a lament which is as effective if not more effective in many cases as a an angry rant uh, and uh, so I like to think that the the the, the programs that we've put together uh, I try to include both classic so-called classic protest songs from historical movements uh, civil rights movement labor movement etc and uh, original work on contemporary topics, and sometimes old song and new song on the same topic, uh, which makes kind of an interesting his historical contrast. Mm -hmm. And are they all performed live, or do you have some of those examples also recorded? Uh, there are a few of the events have been recorded, and I have them up on YouTube. No, I mean, do you actually have recorded songs played at the events, or are they all done live? Oh, no, the events are all done live. Okay. Uh, uh, during the pandemic, we did uh, two shows that were... Uh, remote live, <laughs> uh, you know, people uh, over Zoom. Uh, so it was uh, a little bit hard to manage that. I think you lose a lot of the uh -huh. energy in a performance, Indeed. especially a performance that's got a lot of uh, a lot of backstory to it. And that's why we're also glad that yours and, and some other events are, are starting back up again, and that people are able to get out and enjoy this. So before we we lose the the original thread, I, I mentioned that song that we started with. Um, do, do you, you want to tell a little bit about the story about the Diggers song? So one of the early examples of a protest song. Yeah, I often mention that song. I, I'm, I'm kind of pleased that you chose it without my mentioning it, uh, because it's, it's certainly is an example of a protest song that goes back a couple hundred years during the English Civil War. And uh, it's about you know, peasant land rights. And uh, uh, it's a very effective, I mean, a lot of people have covered that song you know, since it was written, what, 250 years ago. Uh, and uh, several times it has come up on the, on the set list of some of the people performing in the Art of the Protest song show. So I, I think it's a great example of something that has legs. It's been around a long time. I think Billy Bragg has probably done it a few times. Uh -huh. so. well, uh, let me just, I, I, it was uh, up on YouTube and actually had a really nice description. It was actually attributed to Gerard Winstanley, who is actually the founder of the True Levelers, also known as the Diggers, a radical Protestant political movement. Anyway, there's this beautiful verse that, I don't know, just uh, was motivated, supposedly motivated by the verse of the Bible, Acts 4.32, and I'll just read it because it is quite beautiful. And the multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Uh, you know, those, so those biblical socialists, <laughs> by God. <Yeah. laughs> so there you have it. That's uh, yeah. the, the Digger's song. So uh, let's just uh, introduce our, our other guest here um, uh, from, from the Ukraine, right? Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, thank you. I'm actually from Detroit, Michigan, well. <laughs> and my parents were born in Ukraine. Okay. Well, then, so one, once removed, let us say. <laughs> yes, I, um, I'm known as the first-generation Ukrainian, and um, my parents actually had to escape Ukraine in uh, the mid-40s, so I feel like I am a war child. I am a child of war because I've been doing a lot of research about... Um, trauma that is passed down through generations and unfortunately now there will be yet more generations of Ukrainians who have had to live with the trauma of war. Uh, but I grew up in a Ukrainian-American community. Um, 
I'd like to say a Ukrainian community in, in an American city because we went, uh, I went to Ukrainian school. Um, I went to... Was that like connected to a church or...? Uh, yes, actually, I went to Ukrainian school known as uh, Immaculate Conception Ukrainian <laughs> Catholic School. I don't know. It just seemed like that was probably the case. Well, that was the case. I, I grew up with all the, you know, the wild nuns with their, you know, sinister yeah. ways. Just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know what it's like, Catholic school. If anybody's been to a Catholic school, you know. But, um, but you know, on Saturdays, my, my American uh, friends would you know have their weekend but anybody who was of ukrainian descent had to go to ukrainian saturday school and you know we learned about our history we learned about our culture uh our parents made sure that we were given the gift of knowledge about our 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 birth right and where we're from and our ancestors our language our beautiful language uh so Sometimes it would be annoying on Saturday mornings to have to go to Ukrainian school, but now I'm I'm glad for it, you know, with all of my heart because I speak Ukrainian fluently. Mm-hmm. So was it a was was it a musical family? Did you grow up with the you know your musical Ukrainian musical traditions? How did you know? <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, some some people come into it through that way, and some people don't. But well, um, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, my mother, uh, who died a year and three months ago, my sister and I would sing um, three-part harmonies in our kitchen. Oh, beautiful. That's and, such beautiful music. Oh, oh, yes. And, and you know, so from the age of like five years old, um, I was singing three-part harmonies, you know, and I was playing piano, playing little Ukrainian songs on the piano when I couldn't even see the piano keys. So my mother <laughs> taught me from, you know, basically from from the moment I was born, or or before that, even, she taught me these beautiful Ukrainian songs, and and yes, we are a very uh, very musical family. My uncle's also also is a Ukrainian opera singer. Uh, my mother was a beautiful artist, so even though she wasn't musical, she sang in many choirs. And uh, when she uh, when they escaped Ukraine, they had to make a stop over in Germany to the internment camps, and she started singing there with with my uncle and. So yeah, basically music is a major, major part of our family. Mm-hmm. And uh, and frankly, I, I, for a little blip of time, I was a Ukrainian uh, performer. I, I used to joke around and say Ukrainian pop star. But for I did many, I did like six, five, six records in the Ukrainian language wow. with my former partner, and we were witness to the first non-Soviet Ukrainian independent music festival in 1989, two full years before Ukraine became independent. So we witnessed the unfolding of a real, a rebirth. Um, this was right before uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. And in November of 89, as you know, that's when the Berlin Wall came down. So I was there at a very pivotal time. And my band actually performed the Ukrainian national anthem at a time when it was still completely illegal to do that song. So we were there up on stage. And we had this idea of my my partner at the time, Slavko, to perform the Ukrainian national anthem in the style of Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock when he performed. Oh, the, no. So he, he did it with this totally distorted <laughs> guitar. And there's like 5,000 people in the audience. And when they heard the melody, they went crazy. And you heard this roar from the crowd. We did not know whether we were going to get shot or whether we were going <laughs> to get... Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. There were literally KGB agents in the front row watching us the whole time but they were kind of enjoying the music so they had a good time (laughs) this was literally the time when the soviet union was falling apart and we witnessed it wow that's an amazing story i I hope you'll have more stories like that to tell us but so (laughs) how much time do you have (laughs) (laughs) but so so in essence that was a protest so you turned you know the anthem into a protest song because of the the context which can happen but you know given the 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 theme of our show and your your upcoming event so was was protest music a part of you know the ukrainian tradition that you 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 know did you was that part of it well to be very honest how do i put this simply uh basically uh for all ukrainians um living and growing up in the Soviet system, every Ukrainian song in the Ukrainian language is a protest song. Right, 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 right. So just the fact that you're singing in Ukrainian, that is 
is a protest because Ukrainians were forbidden to use their language and to sing songs and many composers and, and writers and philosophers had to pay with their lives for the for the freedom of of writing in the Ukrainian language. And, and that's that's you know, that's true worldwide, you know, any like any suppressed cultural, you know, national group uh, trying to maintain its identity, the expression of their of their through music or whatever is a is a, in, inherently a, a protest, which is kind of an expansion of that whole idea of protest. But I guess specifically also, since you are obviously the they were doing even more than that in the Ukraine probably would have been even more difficult writing, you know, explicitly, you know, anti-Soviet songs would have been severely frowned upon. Maybe some people did it, but maybe you were a little freer. I, I don't know. What did you, so again, did you, did you, did you grow up, did you grow up, so did you start to write your own songs? Well, because uh, I'm first generation, my ex-partner and I, Slavka, we were known as Darka and Slavka, literally <laughs> Darka and Slavka. And somebody did a Wikipedia about us. Uh, I don't even know who it is, but it does tell our story uh-huh. that we were first two generation, uh, two first generation Ukrainians who met uh, because of a political poetry night. And uh-huh. we were we were all basically, if you were born in the U.S. and you were Ukrainian, then you would have grown up going to uh, demonstrations and rallies. I remember from a very young age holding up signs, you know, that said freedom for Ukraine, freedom for Ukraine. And then, you know, when I was a college student, I joined a Ukrainian political organization where we, our goal was to make it, um, you know, to make um, people aware that there is this, you know, that there's all these countries in the Soviet Union. They're not all one country. And Ukraine my whole life was something that basically nobody knew what it was. So when someone would hear me and my mom speaking Ukrainian at the mall or wherever, they'd say, oh, what language is that you're speaking? And I'd say Ukrainian. And then they'd say, oh, that's like Russian, right? And we'd say, no, <laughs> it's not. It's, uh, I mean, it's Ukrainian language is like uh, what Italian is to you know, Portuguese or something. I can't really understand the Russian language, although if you were, you know, if you limbed under the Soviet system, then everybody speaks Russian there. So Vladimir Putin's pretext for this war, one of them being, I am going to protect the Russian speaking citizens of, of, you know, Ukraine. Well, that's like saying, you know, let let England come and protect the English speaking citizens of the US. (laughs) That's a ridiculous notion. So I don't even know what your question was. I just went out <laughs> on a complete and total rant. So. That's okay. It's all good. I'd like to get maybe a little, a little, <laughs> little further or deeper into the into sort of the politics, since this must be obviously a highly fraught and e- emotional time for you, given the the war. I can't even imagine what that that might be like to to be going through that, and you know, being being your family's homeland. I can, and I all. can tell you. Just briefly, imagine everyone that you grew up with, every single person, now being extremely worried about someone that they know and love, some family member in Ukraine, because those rockets are flying all over Ukraine. So absolutely everybody that I grew up with is now frantically trying to figure out if their friends are okay in Ukraine, if their family's okay in Ukraine. So think about that level of trauma. I don't even know how I'm still standing. I'm so full of grief and 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 just just high emotions every day watching the news watching mm-hmm. everything transpire in real time it's crazy so yeah no this is a this is a real opportunity to get you know uh, <clears throat> get a, a glimpse into what it what it is like for someone with those close connections to you know not just be thinking about it abstractly whatever whatever one's view on on the war and its origins are which maybe we can talk a little bit about in addition to this Ukrainian foundation, which is the going to be the, the recipient of the uh, the the benefit. It's going to be the the benefit tour of this uh, concert coming up once again. Let me just uh, reintroduce the program, which is uh, the Art of the Protest Song, which is an event that uh, had been going for. Oh, about six years around the country, and Bill, you can you can uh, maybe tell some of the kind of the highlights uh, of that as we as we go along. We are, gosh, we are actually halfway through the program. I'm going to give the number to call in since this is also a call-in show. We also need to play a couple of songs, um, given that we are talking about protest song. Anyway, my guests are Bill Valenti, 
who uh, started this uh, this Art of the Protest song eight years ago, and Darka Dusty, who you've been hearing, who's a, a Ukrainian-American uh, singer who will be performing, and they will be performing along with the other guests, uh, Rosa Linda and Skylar Reed. So yeah, we have a, a lot yet to talk about. Uh, maybe... Um, while I give the number to call in, 503-231-8187, let us play um, the first song that we have queued up, and then we can talk about it. Go ahead, Ty. Бачив майданчик, той бачив ті стіни, що слухали пісню одного хлопчини. Він склав її просто, як серце складало. Просто, як серце співало. Мамо, чи чуєш ти мене, мамо? Мамо, я хочу до тебе прийти. Важкі домовини Націлили дула У пісню хлопчини Чи бачиш, чи чуєш Двадцятий мій вічер Не спалена пісня що вечора кличе. Люди, чи чуєте мене, люди? Люди, щасливо йдіть до мети. Люди, єднайтесь у вагні, Світ не скували колючі дроти. Хто був той хлопчина, Василько Чияник? Хай скаже нам попіл той сивій. Секунда, лиш пострілу нає, а хлопець мираючи тихо співає, мамо, чи чуєш ти мене? And that was uh, one of our guests, Darka Dusty. So, uh, since unlikely that many of our listeners understand Ukrainian, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that song is about. 
Yeah, should have told you. By the way, I'm I'm tearing up right now. Can't can't listen to that song very much without crying. Um, so gosh, I recorded that with my um, former partner Slauko when I was tw- 21 years old. <laughs> We're talking long ago. <laughs> um, but that is a song about a young man who would never see his mother again because he had to go to war. And just before he died, he sang to her, Mama, do you hear me? Mama, I want to come back to you. Mama, I've tried so hard to get to you, but the barbed wires will not let me go. Mm. Obviously, this was uh, from the point of view of fighting in a foreign (coughs) land, which makes it even that much more poignant and heartbreaking that right now people are fighting right there um, on their native Ukrainian land. Okay, wow. So that uh, uh, will be... Well, I don't know if you'll be performing that song, but you'll get to hear. Well, you get to hear her voice that you just heard. On <laughs> I uh, don't have that twenty-one-year-old voice anymore. <laughs> Trust okay, me. Okay. Well, There's forty-five uh, frogs living inside uh, my throat uh, right uh, now. A uh, 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 more uh, um, um, what's the right word? <laughs> mature, mature version. Uh, there's a better word there, but that's all right. It'll come to me anyway. So that'll be a a week and a half from today on uh, Saturday, November fifth, at the Rose City. Book Pub, you'll hear Darka along with uh, Bill, and we'll hear one of Bill's songs in a few minutes, and hopefully we'll have time to hear also Rosalinda. Um, Again, 503-231-8187. Yeah, make make your, uh, if you do make a a call, make your comment or question really quick and uh, really to the point and pertinent, because we got still a lot to to go over. Um, You know, just this is such a fascinating thing because I love protest music, uh, topical music, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, the, the artist we played at the beginning has become one of my favorite. I actually interviewed him on his 85th birthday a few years ago, mm-hmm. Leon Rosselson from England, from the UK. And um, fascinating, his, his, his own history. Um, actually, he comes from, gosh, he comes from that, he comes from uh, Eastern Europe himself. I can't even remember what country. Uh, he's from a Jewish family, and they fled to England. So there's some commonality there. But anyway, so so obviously that informed his own musicianship. But let's talk about the you know the the art of the protest song. So you you said Bill that you you grew up really influenced by, you know who are some of your favorite? I'm, I mean I'm sure Dylan was in there. Everybody you know um, talks about Dylan, and rightfully so. He was a, a truly uh, brilliant singer-songwriter and had so much to do with the sort of the resurgence of the political song in the early 60s. Who were some of your, your major influences? Well, I, I, I like to say that I learned how to play the guitar <clears throat> from Peter, Paul, and Mary listening to their records uh-huh. uh, in the early 60s, mid-60s. Uh, I lived in Europe in the, from 66 to 68, then back to the U.S. and then out to Asia for about 20 years. So I missed a lot of the uh, a lot of the American and European music uh, from the, say, the mid-70s to the early 90s when I came back to the U.S. And, um, but, but certainly I took with me the influence of Peter, Paul, and Mary, Pete Seeger, uh, Dylan, although it's, it's funny that uh, Dylan often uh, insists that he's not a protest songwriter. And, um, well, that, there's an interesting, that's an, <clears throat> that's an interesting thing to talk about sometime, maybe not today. I, yeah. I actually uh, read... Uh, the biography of Buffy St. Marie, mm-hmm. uh, one, another one of my very, very favorite singers and protest singers. And she was actually ruining, she actually sort of accused Dylan of sort of, uh, you know, uh, giving up what he, what he started um, and you know, not yes. being, not continuing to be politically committed. Yeah. And she said it in a really, really beautiful, straightforward way, which I thought, because I've sort of thought that too. And anyway, we could probably talk for hours about like why that happened, but we won't. But anyway, I just wanted to say that. Well, I mean, if you listen to Masters of War, you can. Oh, uh, I mean, it's yeah. hard. To, it's hard for him to deny that he's a protest songwriter. <laughs> uh, but I, I would use that uh, example. Masters of War is is a good example of the contrast between an angry rant like that song or Eve of Destruction and the song that Darka just did, which is a very powerful lament. Uh, also a protest song, but in the form of a lament, not a rant. And uh, I like to make that distinction when we do our Art of the Protest Song shows, that we include not just 
angry rants that get people raising their fists, but also soulful laments uh, about the effects of climate change, for example. Uh, you could do two versions of that. You could say blankety-blank oil companies uh, and raise your fist, or you could do something about you know, the plight of the last polar bear, <laughs> just to make an example. Yeah, and of course, there's 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 nuances, and there's more straight, you know, right mm-hmm. right in your face. Uh, who are some examples of some more like new, more nuanced protest singers? Well, uh, I, you know, Bruce Springsteen comes to mind as uh, uh, like his his uh, the ghost of Tom Joad is one I always use as an example because it's a, it's also a soulful lament, uh, but it's about a subject that makes a lot of people very very angry and rightfully so. Uh, but he does it in a way. Uh, that I think sticks in people's minds uh, in many in many ways more so than he, than it would uh, be, uh, the eff- the effect it would have it was a, in the form of an angry rant. I I came across a an essay by a group of uh, professors from McGill University that sort of analyzed the lyrics. Uh, the, what's the through line in lyrics from say Woody Guthrie to Bruce Springsteen? Um, Janice Ian, um, uh, Andy DeFranco, uh, that makes their songs effective. And uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the topic that they mentioned is something called hopeful anger. They have this element of hopeful anger. You can get as angry as you want in your song, but always at the end of the song or somewhere in the song, uh, leave some little nugget of hope. Uh, and uh, that makes the you know they would they would say that's what makes an effective protest song is hopeful anger. I'll just throw out one of one of my favorite, uh, well, current. She's been around for at least a couple decades, but uh, nuanced. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's kind of hard to classify, but Eliza Gilkison, I think, writes oh, yeah. just wonderfully powerful. Some of them are very direct, and some of them are more nuanced. But anyway. That, just throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, actually uh, in the obituaries of uh, Loretta Lynn uh, was pointed out several times that she, uh, you know, it's often said that the country music genre does not have protest songs, does not allow protest songs. But I think her songs about uh, uh, abuse, abusive husbands, abusive boyfriends, is as powerful a protest song as you'll find anywhere. And and uh, here, here. Yeah. So good for Loretta Lynn. <laughs> Well, so you must have some opinions on this yourself, Darka. <laughs> <laughs> About Loretta Lynn and her pro- well, well, you know, I mean, possibly. I mean, yeah, Loretta. What a, she was one of the great ones. But no, just in general, what the the whole idea of of what is protest music and well, I think protest music is something that makes you think and challenge your assumptions about things, and and also it could be so simple, you know. Like like blowing in the wind, you know. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. It's it's not a command. It's it's you know. It's just. Um, I think it's a very thoughtful thing. And by the way, that particular example, um, having grown up in a Ukrainian American uh, community as I did, um, you know, our parents wanted to make sure that we were speaking and singing in Ukrainian. But sometimes there were hits that just were you know, too big to ignore. So when you'd go to Ukrainian uh, Girl Scout camp, for example, in the summer, there was a version of Blowing in the Wind in the Ukrainian language. Oh, right on. And so I'm mm. going to sing that one on November 5th. Oh, okay. <laughs> and sometimes I even uh, print out the lyrics and I let uh, and I ask the audience to sing uh, with me. <laughs> so maybe people can sing in Ukrainian with me on that night. Well, you know, we might even prevail upon you to give us a snippet here this morning, perhaps, if you would. Well, I had I had a different song in mind, one that okay. I wouldn't wouldn't have the nerve to sing live, uh, because it would it would be just too heart wrenching. <laughs> well, let's let's hear um, let's hear one of Bill's songs. Who uh, again, I think it's just fascinating that you 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 started so very late in life which is highly unusual for a, a singer songwriter and never and, never too late and to gives the muse. gives inspiration <laughs> to those of us who are post 60 who, you're uh, like the grandma moses of protest music <laughs> so let's hear uh uh i think this is a uh, something about congress want to give us a little intro to the song first uh, yeah oops here, is, uh, here it's playing right now okay. let's just hear it i just bought me a congressman he was cheaper than a Subaru 
He needed money for his next campaign. Now he'll do anything I ask him to. 20 years on Capitol Hill. He pretends to do the people's will. But I got him in my pocket now. Well, that's the way the game is played. I got lobbyists in my pay. They're on the hill nearly every day. Writing bills at the senator's sign. They never read them, but I don't mind. Koch brothers bought a whole damn crew. They own governors and presidents too. Now they're working on the rich man's dream. Nine judges out of nine Supremes. Well, that's business in the USA. Buying senators is all the rage. Big money owns a whole damn show. And we the people get the shaft. But the people now are getting wise. You can see it in their angry eyes. Had enough of all the tricks and lies. And now they're loaded for bear. Party and the liberals too Both doing in the same damn stew Big money screwing me and you And it's time we change the game So keep voting if you think you should The illusion might do you good But you gotta know the whole game's rigged Politicians don't give a fig We had enough of this plutocracy We can't whine and just let it be The whole congress is a den of thieves And we gotta send them home so get your pitchforks and torches now Well that's the only way to push them out Standing tall on the Capitol Mall Raise a ruckus now and sound the call We gotta get out on the streets today Bare knuckles is the only way We the people gotta have our say And you better listen up Well that's business in the USA Buying senators is all the rage Big money owns a whole damn show And we the people got the shaft but the people now are on the rise You can see it in our angry eyes We had enough of all the tricks and lies Now we're loaded for bear We the people gonna have our say And you better listen up Well, that was uh, certainly a, a one of your more in-your-face in type songs <laughs> Are you sure you weren't in January 6th with that song? <laughs> Well, that's kidding. I, I, I totally that, kidding. You know, that's kidding. the story of that song is is that I was in uh, uh, Kerrville, Texas at the Kerrville Folk Festival. Mm -hmm. And uh, Texas is a red state. Kerrville Folk Festival is a little bit dot of blue in otherwise red Texas. And uh, I was sitting in one of the camps, uh, you know, Song Circle, Big Song Circle goes all night at Kerrville. And uh, in walks this fellow with a guitar case festooned with uh, Tea Party slogans, you know, the Gadsden flag and uh, don't tread on me and all that stuff. Uh, and he sat down next to me and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. I wonder what kind of song he's going to do. Uh, but then I, I decided to do this song and I, I turned and I said, you know, I, I'm going to do a song that I think I could uh, do effectively at a, at a Tea Party rally or a Nancy Pelosi fundraiser. Uh, and it's about the corrupting influence of big money in politics. And I did the song, and he said, "Yeah, I'm that. I'm pissed off about that too. I, I, I feel exactly the same way." So that's that's a song that uh, I I like to use that as an example of uh, a protest song that has a huge common ground that goes from left to right, because uh, there's a lot of people on both the right and the left that uh, agree wholeheartedly that the corrupting influence of big money in politics is doing none of us any good. In, indeed, so. of course, it's very. Uh, it's an interesting time to hear that song, given that in two weeks yeah. we're going to have a, an incredibly uh, uh, important election. And uh, it was interesting. I, I, I don't know if you listen to Democracy Now, uh, oh, yeah. either of you, yeah. but uh, Ralph Nader was on yesterday. And uh, was, uh, uh, Amy Goodman was, was uh, noting the fact that for the first time uh, in, that she could remember, he had actually he was actually actively um, campaigning for the Democrats, whereas, you know, he's been a Green Party candidate. He's been, you know, basically been very expressing those sentiments in that song, that it's the corrupting influence of Paul. He's you know, devoted his entire life to that and similar um, issues. That's where he's coming from. But he sees this 
election is just so incredibly important yeah. as you know just one of a series of elections where you have the you know really the looming threat of fascism you know coming in um through the either a, a either a you know legitimate or semi-legitimate or a, a, a truly rigged electoral process i think the idea of rigged has taken on a much more explicit meaning given the the last uh five or six years anyway uh, you can come on comment on that if you want um but yeah it's uh it's a it's a where are our our protest songs that rise to the the challenge i i i was uh i was looking up some trump songs there are mm-hmm. there's some good ones and uh, there was actually before the before the 2016 election there was like a 30 songs in 40 days or something i don't know if you're familiar with that they actually challenged uh, uh groups bands and singer songwriters to come up with anti basically anti-trump songs sort of as part of the the campaign which yeah, i have obviously a few didn't. of those but <laughs> yeah well no, nothing really rhymes with kofifi i did try <laughs> i did try so you know sometimes the the <laughs> sometimes the theme of the song is just so hair raising that you might as well just like sit down and forget it because it'll be too upsetting yeah <laughs> to yeah. write yeah, i have a few songs about blood that, sweat but... and tears into each song you write you know <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we can't let this uh, the show uh, dwindle down without talking about again this uh, upcoming show is a benefit for the Ukrainian Foundation, and maybe we'll uh, I'll just I'll just say a little bit about you know I've been I've been covering this this war on my show um, basically from the angle that the United States actually had a really important role to play, and along with NATO in. In a, allow basically allowing the the war to go forward. I'll just put it that way. Anyway, you, you can express your your thoughts on that. Um, it's there's you know there's a complex historical background going back to the you know U- U.S. Soviet relations and anyway it's it's a it's a big mess. But uh, b- before we you know we do that, talk about the the beneficiary of this uh, of the upcoming benefit on uh, 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 November fifth, the Ukrainian Foundation. The Ukrainian Foundation is a really a grassroots organization uh, centered here in Portland, Oregon, and it's a group of professionals. And all these people have, you know, uh, their professional jobs. So it is. Uh, there are no admin fees, uh, which means that every donation that you make for Ukrainian Foundation, 100% of it goes to Ukraine in the form of medical aid, humanitarian aid, and they also assist with uh, people trying to. Um, you know, uh, find new places to live when they have to uh, escape a, a city that is being attacked. So they help refugees. And so they, they send things like tourniquets to the front lines, things that you don't think about. But this is one of the reasons why there has been uh, such a great support for the Ukrainian cause, because they're really, uh, you know, they're a, they were a sovereign nation and they never wanted to fight anybody. NATO uh, they, you know, they they were not encroaching on the Soviet Union, or I'm sorry, on Russia. Uh, this is one of the narratives that Vladimir Putin put out there because he really wants to bring back some sort of um, version of the Soviet Union, and uh, he has a narrative that simply exists really in his mind and in the mind of imperialist thinkers. Um, but there's just no place for this kind of war anymore in in the in, in the 21st century. So, you know, um, I think it's just very important for people to understand why we do this. Why I've been, you know, basically fundraising since the beginning of March. Uh, I mean, both my parents died in the last year. So my mother died in August of 2021, and my father followed in February of 2022. Four days later. Russia invaded Ukraine, and I was basically uh, immobilized by grief for a good week. And then my friend Andre Temkin, who's Russian-born, uh, but has been living in Portland, Oregon, and in America for probably close to 30 years, he called me up and he said, Darka, we're doing a fundraiser for Ukraine. Are you in? <laughs> and then I sat there, like, probably still you know, blowing my nose from the last time I cried because it was constant at that moment, just constant grief. I said to myself, here's my Russian friend calling me on the phone to see if I would do a fundraiser for Ukraine. And I realized 
this is what we need in the world, for people to recognize the importance of this situation. Ukraine is literally, let's call it a levy, you know, and if this levy breaks, you just, I mean, Putin's got designs on much more than Ukraine. And I think people in the West fail to understand that, that if we let him win this particular battle or special operation in massive quotes if we let this happen he will be emboldened and we will then see a greater escalation um so let me we, let me just yeah. uh, just a gentle pushback i don't want to get into a, a big political no argument. worries i'm, I'm on autopilot because i'm I especially since <laughs> especially since we only have 10 minutes left if we really can't get into it and i'm i'm no expert on the situation i i, I personally think that that idea that that uh, Putin has these uh, much bigger designs. I think there might be some flaws to that argument. And uh, again, you know, it's it's hard. We'll talk later. Yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can talk later. Yeah. I just think it's been used as a as a justification, and I think uh, it 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 can verge on on a sort of being propagandistic. And there's enough. Well, uh, no, you look at his history. I mean, he's gone to Georgia, and he's. I mean, he he, he this yeah. has been his goal from day one. I mean, I will send you multiple articles that will tell you that this is not propaganda. He wants to unite back uh, at least Belarusia, Ukraine, and Russia because he believes that that is the historic grouping. Of well, nations. I guess it's it's the idea the idea that people sort of instantly went to talking about like Poland and NATO countries as the and I thought that was like way beyond you know I think that was just a uh, irrational personally. But anyway, we again we can either agree to disagree or, or talk later as you say probably better. Um, I guess don't, we just don't underestimate him. I mean, honestly, he's seeing how the West reacts to his movements. Right. And when there's a show of weakness in his eyes, like what happened in 2014 in Crimea, when the little green men took over Crimea, no, the West didn't do anything. No, I think. And I, so now we're here. I think I, I do agree that there is an imperialism. And I think a lot of there's a people on the left who I've talked to who, who disagree. Uh, and now I think there's a, you know, at least maybe there's some conversation happening, maybe some more nuanced position. I guess my position as a, a U United States anti-imperialist who sees that the United States has been really the foremost, you know, imperialist in the world for uh, going on a hundred years or more, and it, you know, it, it's it's and it's and I realize it's it's a really complicated argument when you talk about people who come from, you know, especially from the former Soviet Union and and lived either live directly or their families, their parents, whatever, lived under that. Anyway, this is, again, a, a really complicated conversation. But Well, to that, I would just say, you know, you don't negotiate with the person who's murdering, raping you, and trying to, you know, make you not exist. You can't negotiate with that person. So that's where I stand. Okay. And I, I think I disagree on that. But again, that's what... Uh, that's what, that's what we that's what we can do. That's what we we have the luxury and the freedom to be able to do here, whereas yeah. people are actually um, actively uh, dying and fighting in the Ukraine. Um, and people we, in Russia can't speak freely, so you know, you know they, they can't give this opinion. So I, you know, the best outcome would be, I think, for people Russians to really truly rise up exactly and, and overthrow putin they i agree need a revolution just like, just like nobody. we just like we need here to overthrow the oligarchy in this country as bill was talking about people have all the power everybody forgets that people have all the power well i, I wish that were true but anyway it looks like <laughs> we have robbie calling but i don't want to go to robbie because i know we're going to get into a we just don't have time so robbie I, i'm sorry i know what you want to say i think please uh forgive me if i'm being <laughs> i'm being uh, overweening here, but uh, I just uh, so we'll do this another time, Robbie. So I'm sorry, uh, we can't talk to you. Ro Robbie is very vociferously um, in the camp of the people who believe that you know basically uh, the U.S. and NATO were the the driving forces for the war. And anyway. yeah, I have people who say that too, but that is uh, an uneducated point of view well, because I the Ukrainian students in 2013 rose up during the Maidan, and that's because they didn't want their puppet president to align with Russia. They instead wanted to align with Europe, and that's where all of this well, of course, started. So you got to give. But he, to he the then people. again, he was duly elected. Is is another thing, but. And it, uh, and so, and there, and Yanukovych, the whatever whoever was overthrown in in twenty fourteen. Uh, well, let's talk about that another time because <laughs> I can go on and on about 
all of this. So, okay. so yeah, people who like do the NATO argument, that, and so what? Even if NATO and America was involved, do you still uh, kill innocent people and target your rockets in, uh, to apartments and hospitals? No, it's, no I we guess need the argument. Well, the argument is is that actually that 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 the U.S. actually could have had a role in prevent actually preventing the war. So where were they in 2014 then? Good question. Hello? Anyway, so we we did end up having the the, the political discussion, but well, I think we're gonna we're gonna leave that now because we only have five minutes, and uh, we'll, we will continue this discussion in future shows. I'm just too caffeinated. You guys t- brought me up at <laughs> eight in the morning. I never get up this early. My my body doesn't know what's going on. I got so much caffeine in here. I could talk for the next. It's, four it's hours. all good. How about <laughs> how about if you give us how about if you uh, you give us a couple verse the, uh, a verse or two of that. Uh, acapella song you wanted to give us all right well this is a a poem by ukraine's biggest poet artist uh basically a national treasure taras shevchenko and he wrote this and it's called the testament and this is he lived in the 1800s so ukraine's quest for its identity and to be left alone by its occupiers has is hundreds of years old, okay? Hundreds of years. So this isn't just a 30-year Ukrainian nation. We're hundreds of years old. And um, i got to calm myself for a minute. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to tell you what it means first so that you can understand it when I'm singing. Basically, he says, When I die, then make my grave high on ancient mound in my own beloved Ukraine, in stepland without bound, whence one may see wide-skirted wheatland, Dnipro's steep cliffed shore, where whence one may hear the blustering river roar. Make my grave there and arise, sundering your chains. Bless your freedom with the blood of foes' evil veins. Then in that great family of family, new and free, do not forget with good intent, speak quietly of me. Yakum ruto pochovai te menenamo hili seret stepu shiroko navkrayini mili. Pokovaite tapstavaite kaidani porvite i vrajoju zlaju krovju volu kropite. That's all I can do. It's too much. Ooh. Well, thank you for that. That. Uh, yeah, my voice has got some frogs in it right it, now. It, if anybody wasn't awake out there before. <laughs> I must have distorted your microphone. It goes with the territory. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> My husband, Miri, says that I, I cannot uh, sing into microphones. They all distort under the pressure of my vote. Boy, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so we're, we only have a couple minutes left. So, Bill, um, that was just wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks I, for letting me sing. Yes. And um, people can uh, e- either hear that or similar stuff again on uh, Saturday, November 5th. The Art of the Protest song. Give us a sense for what that evening is going to be like. We haven't even talked about that. Well, each each of the four performers will do um, uh, at least one cover from whatever period of time, going back to the Digger song or something they may have found on the walls of the pyramids or the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then um, uh, two or three uh, original songs on whatever topic they choose. Uh, so it's, it's not a songwriters in the round. I, I like it. Uh, it's a small venue, so uh, we'll have four performers each doing uh, probably four songs. Um, and I'll be the MC. I do a little introduction on the background of the Art of the Protest song and uh, you know how I, I consider protest songs to be a form of, I, I would call it a, 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 journal, a form of journalism, really, uh, op-ed uh, journalism. Uh, and uh, we'll take it from there. And, you know, audiences uh, welcome to... Uh, chime in from time to time if they have something to say about the topic that's being addressed in a particular song. 
I think we have a really good roundup of uh, performers. Darka, obviously, you've heard her today, is going to be the powerhouse of the of the event. <laughs> I'd also like to say that my real last name is Darka Stebiuka. That's my Ukrainian last name. I, I meant to say that. <laughs> Darka Dusty is a performance name. Yeah, I thought it kind of sounds like dark and dusty. So yeah, I <laughs> yeah, like uh, that um, that lyric from. Right. You know. <laughs> okay, so we, we, we're almost out of time. Um, so you'll be talking about sort of the history of, of this event, you know, sort of maybe some stops you've made, which we didn't get to talk to talk about today. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the purpose of it really is to highlight protest song or pro- topical songs as a unique and special and powerful genre in the music space. And uh, you can you can see that you can hear that in listening to songs like the ones that Darka just did, uh, and so it's important that each of the performers introduces the song in the context of a, a certain political movement or social or, or cultural movement, uh, and how it might or might not have become an anthem of that movement. Now, there's a song. Okay, that, we we can't get go too yeah, much further because we we're we're out of time, yep. and that's a uh, Bill Valenti you just heard as well as Darka Dusty, Ukrainian-American singer, who will be at this event, The Art of the Protest Song, at the Rose City Book Pub on Saturday, November 5th. And I believe they said that you need to have a vaccination card to get in. Is that right? Uh, they do have that requirement at the at the book pub. And okay. I think by now, pretty much everybody does. Right. I just haven't been out and about too much. Anyway, that's it. Thank you both so much. Really Thank you, Paul, so for inviting us. All right. That's it for the show. Bye, everybody. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. The time is 8.59 a.m. Tune in to KBOO Monday mornings at 9 for the Old Mole Variety Hour. Your source.